Welcome to this week's episode of the Gestalten Podcast presented to you by Concept House Digital, your number one source for headhunting and contracting solutions within UI and UX. My name is Martin Groschwald and today's guest on the Gestalten Podcast is Sue Neuhauser, the former MAN, Tesla and Faraday Future Color and Trim Chief. And Sue and I had a lovely conversation about the importance of color and trim the importance of color and trim in a brand itself, how it is integrated in a design studio, and of course, the future of color and trim and how well it's going to help to shape a company and, uh, you know, a brand in this future coming. So enjoy the conversation I had with Sue and leave us a good message if you enjoy the conversation. And here we go. Welcome to the show, Sue. It's a pleasure to have you on board. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me today. So this is going to be a conversation about a topic that I've wanted to do for a very long time, and I'm very happy that I'm doing this with you because not only do you have experience in Germany, in the US with you know CMF brand and everything that's connected to it, um, but also, you are somebody who has seen the OEM world, you have seen the startup world. So it's going to give us a very, very good example on, you know, what the state of CMF design is nowadays and what, uh, you know, where we're going to develop everything towards too. So I'm, I'm very excited about this. And so we want to talk about color, material, trim, finish. There's, there's, there's a couple of words, I think, and a couple of expressions on how to understand color and trim, color, material, finish nowadays. But they both have something in common, which is they're, they're massively underrated when it comes to the general kind of design process. So everybody's always talking about the idea of, you know, exterior design, interior design, recently, of course, about the digital processes, UI and UX. But Nobody really talks about CMF, even though it's one of the most important parts of the car design industry. So in your own words, why do you think that is? Why do you think such an important thing is almost being disregarded by so many people? Um, I think I have to paddle back a little bit. I think um, color material finish is um, still in the OEM world and a little bit in the startup world scene as a side project um, rather an afterthought rather than um, the main one of the main key design elements uh, sometimes it's not even understood that it's a vehicle design it's like a, it's just a, a little bit of a product that needs to be added in in the end um, cmf is of great importance i think because um, it's the the first engagement with the customer in the vehicle and the product itself you CMF is being perceived with all your senses. You can see it, you can feel it, you can sometimes smell it, the materials. And um, it basically gives the heart and soul and flavor to a product, um, to a surface. What happens with interior and exterior, it's, it's the main architecture of a product. And with, with CMF, you... Um, you're giving, like I said, the soul to the vehicle and the flavor and the spirit. And depending on how you 
how you develop it, it can attract many different clienteles or customer profiles. And I think that's why it's so important. It can make, it can enhance a product, but it can also um, destroy a product if it's not done the right way. Um, there's a lot of cost and, and thought process involved in the whole thing. And um, it's overall, I think, greatly misunderstood and, and not understood in the, in, the, in the car design industry. It should be seen as one of the third pillars of vehicle design. It should be exterior, interior, and CMF running parallel. And um, due to the um, long design and development processes within CMF, um, it needs to be almost started before you start any architecture design. It should be ahead of anything else, um, be the outlook and the, the, the forecast of any product and then start developing a surface around it. So obviously, I mean, what you have just mentioned, I completely agree. And obviously we could we could take this list a little bit further. I think, you know, the, 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 the car design industry now stands on almost like five um, five pillars. It's not just interior and exterior, but it's color and trim. It's user interface as well. User interface as well. And there's one important part for me as well, which is the operation. So what happens in the background, you know, yeah. uh, which is the stuff that is the visualization, the 3D modeling, the clay modeling. It's not just that this runs on exterior. This is in, uh, its own department. So mm -hmm. when we look at this, and obviously this operations department is something relatively new that has emerged um, over the past few years, but of course, uh, UI has been on such a rise because of technology and the people think it's just so important. If you look back in color and trim and if you if you see, especially like, you know, going back into like the 50s or, you know, even 40s, um, that the color was was such an important factor to selling the car as well. Let's, let's think back to, you know, the Ferraris that were red for the racing, uh, for example. I mean, even finally taking back the color of the silver arrows with Mercedes, you know, and then having, having that as a, as a, as a functional point, of course. And with that's just about it, you know, exterior. Why do you think that a lot of the people, and this is, you know, obviously, you know, really weird is, you know, it has never really been accepted as one of these most important factors. It's, it's because it's not that simple as just, Oh, here's a color. Let's put it on a car as you just mentioned. But it seems to me that, a lot of the guys, and you know, if you go into a design school, for example, you go into the art, you know art center, Fortsheim or whatever, they teach, you know, exterior, they teach interior. Some of them are now starting with UI UX, but they are completely leaving the color and trim out of it almost. You know, the only one that I can think of is Reutlingen that have a very specialized, uh, you know, course for it, but. It's almost just like you know, like well, pff, yeah, we can do it in the last instance and. Um, it's just it's just a weird concept for me. I I just don't get it. Like you know, like where do you think this is coming from? I to be honest, I don't know. I have no idea why they haven't understood that um, if you if you for example design a surface and an architecture, and then um, in the end you think like, oh, what we're gonna do with this architecture? And then the CMF designer comes and hey, I've in, I've found these amazing finishes and um, this amazing company and I would like to develop this further. I, I think we can go very far with this. I have a color changing uh, pigment you can program and later on um, maybe create an app and, and save all the paint process um, if, if you get into that. Um, but it would require um, you can only do certain surface width or uh, thicknesses or um, 
different curvatures or angles in order to apply that. So your whole process um, of the design, of the architecture design, has to be then redone. Um, so not only are companies saving, uh, wasting time on that, making this an after process, they're also wasting money. Um, a couple examples is like um, you are, you have a certain thickness for material and um, that's kind of the material um, you developed or you, you would propose for a certain area because it's it's cost effective, it's amazing, you have your own design, um, it, it meets all the specifications and regulations, but the architecture that's designed, it, it, it doesn't fit there. And maybe it's already in, in tooling um, before CMF got engaged. So not only do you have to spend more time to redo the design, the architecture, you also have to retool things. And um, because the process of CMF, and we can maybe talk about this later, the process of CMF is um, one of the longest design processes itself from the concept to the, to the production development phase. It goes, um, it, it takes more time to design and develop and, and meet all the specifications later on um, than just uh, the architecture itself. And that's where a lot of um, industries and a lot of um, companies um, have to do certain additional loops in there then in order to actually get them the final desired finish or color onto the product uh, because it's an afterthought. So if if you would in the end um, don't make this an afterthought, make for example workshops where you like sit the team together, make a combined brief of what what are we what are we making, what's this product, what's the what's the flavor, what's the soul of this product, what's the customer, what do we need to be um, to be competitive in the next five to ten years, where are the trends going make this a team effort, and then everyone goes out and makes initial proposals, but integrate CMF um, holistically within the team structure and not making it an afterthought. You would have a much more holistic and, and ripened product earlier on without losing time and cost. And personally, I don't understand why this hasn't been done yet, or it has been done partially with startups I worked in, and um, I try to integrate the CMF designers um, basically sitting all together on each other's laps of the interior and exterior designer and making this a, a consolidated team effort rather than um, sliding finished sketches under someone's door and said, hey, put something on there. Um, it's not the smart way to do. And um, you will see that um, having an interior and exterior designer and a CMF designer working that closely together and um, being equally responsible for the architecture, but also the finish and the color and everything, um, you'll be saving time and also developing a much a more interesting product. You come up with a very different architecture and very different surfaces because you're getting early enough input on CMF and um, you're feeding the architecture designers, so to say, with um, with finds and innovations and um ideas they wouldn't think of themselves and then you inspire them to actually go way beyond their normal thinking process of an architecture said hey we could do this if we do this finish or we we could work with this material but we are these are the restrictions of this material but um, if we do this on the outside we would have 
much better aerodynamics or we could have an indication of pollution on the outside, which could be then later on a unique selling point of this product or an indicator. And um, you could spark further ideas. It would be a much more holistic brainstorm process in the early phase of developing a concept and then going further on into bringing this to life. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, it's, it's, um, it's still like the afterthought of a CMF rather than um, an early on integration within the initial concept phase. And the, the question of you, like, why would that be? And why was color or material and finish a much more um, valued um, process or product or development stage maybe in, in the 50s, 60s? I think um, color material finish um, evoke um, an experience, a much stronger experience than just the surface itself, I think. and um, the, the colors um, head of certain vehicles, such as a Ferrari, for example, or an Aston Martin, like this, the, 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 the greens, had a much more um, importance to the brand itself. So the brand and the, the product were more tied together through materials and finishes. Does it make sense? <laughs> it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I want to I pick on something that you've just mentioned, uh, which I find very interesting, which was the... Um, which was the very early phase. So this yeah. kind of, you know, concept, almost like concept engineering, or even the phase where the package is being is being developed for a certain the ideation kind of process, the early concept yeah. ideation process. Yeah, e exactly. Because oftentimes, from from my understanding and from the knowledge of the, you know, from the people I speak to, the design generally is only rudimentary involved in that there's a lot of engineering towards that there's product planning in in, in this kind of area yeah yeah um it depends if it's a startup or an oem i think that's exactly the point yeah. i think you know when, when we talk about a startup it's a completely different kind of story um towards that as well because the design would drive the product rather engineering mm -hmm. exactly yeah we've seen it i think with companies such as byton we've seen it with faraday of course you've tesla. been a faraday you've been a tesla of course as well so you know that um but if we if we actually use that learning curve from these kind of startup and implement that into the the bigger OEMs, it's not necessarily a big change. But it seems, in terms of a structural change, it's not very big. But a cultural change, it's it's absolutely massive. I think both both directions, whether engineering or design, drives the product can be a direction. But I think imagine you could combine this like. In the early ideation phase, you would obviously start with the strategic part, and that's the most important thing. What are we making? Why, why are we making it? And who are we making it for? And sometimes these things are getting forgotten in, in the early initial process of making a product. It's just, oh, we're going to have the next um, vehicle series coming out. We're going to have to do a facelift to make it more interesting. Maybe we're saving some initial problems. But um, and then we're going to put a color on it and we're going to sell it for a certain price because that's where it fits into. But uh, the initial questions of why are we making this product? Why is it essential? What what are the benefits or the unique selling points for our side? Or what are the benefits for the customer itself? Why do we think this product's going to be out on the market for the next 10 years and will be desirable? And um, what is the competitive space there? So you're just going to start looking into trends. You're going to start looking into innovations. You're going to start looking on the engineering side, for example. 
where's the battery developments where what kind of technology can we integrate i think if you put everything on in a meeting and you have key players there and put everything on the table and you make um smart brainstorms in the beginning where where everyone is involved in design as well as engineering um to um put on a table and everyone can feed off of that to understand what's out there then the ideation phase could be again much more holistic and um each of the teams can go back to their drawing board and say oh i've seen what it, what design had and i the, the designer see does i know what engineering said now and predicts for the next five to ten years let me see how i can integrate this in my in my thinking process in my next loop and then let's meet up again and, and have a look at that and um i i have the feeling and i'm not entirely sure that this these things are all being handled still especially in big oems too separate and that's why um i get the feeling that um that there's a, sometimes a misunderstanding of a product that the engineering side develops something works in a complete different way than maybe design and then marketing is a different animal marketing has a different idea about this product design has a different idea and then engineering and in the end you have to uh, shoehorn everything together and um think like oh how how can we how can we make this work um and that's again extra time extra cost um but i think the product itself could develop in a very different much smarter way bringing key players to the early table and and have everyone put on the table what they think might be beneficial for a product and also like scope out this product together not just think like here's what we have but again who are we making it for why are we making it and and what will it be able to do and why do we think it's a smart product that's a that's a very important question why do we think this is going to be a good and smart product and it's going to be beneficial for the next five to ten years on our side as well as on the customer side yeah and this is where you know when I, when i look into color color and trim or color material finish is you guys are working so much on also trends you know you research obviously what what is going to be a trend like i'm always fascinated with 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 like you know how do you know that a color at a specific time is just on trend? I mean, obviously, you'll probably look at certain kind of <laughs> Wild things. Wild guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's oh, at least. <laughs> um, but you know, this is this. I, for me, for example, like I'll give you an example which I could never understand. Um, a few years back, there was this trend of brown and all these different kind of shades of brown. Yeah, but. When you make that decision in the context of a car, this decision has not been made like three months before you paint the car. Like, you know, this is a decision that's been back like a year, sometimes even two years it's because you have to two go. years, yeah, if you track that back. Yeah, and then, you know, you speak obviously to your marketing, you speak to the suppliers, you need to speak to the companies that, you know, can mix the, the colors so that it's always the same. So there's, um, there's engineering processes, there's production processes, there's marketing processes in there. Um, how early do you actually start in these kind of processes? I mean, sometimes you, as you mentioned as well, like, you know, you would probably have to think about a certain kind of product, even though there is no exterior design, there is no interior design, because um, you will have a range of materials that you're using that are not just for one car, but they, they can be used for multiple different cars. So like, you know, the materials have to be produced as well. Um, and the more the more you use of the material, the cheaper it gets. But this is a, a decision that is so fundamental. Um, this is not just being made by the by the by the 
by the design chief. This is also in cooperation with, I would say, like sales, marketing is involved, but engineering needs to be involved as well for weight probably and all these kind of things. Yeah. So, how, how, how is that process? I mean, that's, that's kind of, the Germans would say dancing on like, you know, multiple weddings at the same time. Oh, oh CMF designers are good in that. They, they dance on about 500 different weddings at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to elevate those guys, but I think um, maybe this podcast helps to understand the process a little bit better. And that, that CMF is actually a, a very, very hard design process. It's not a picking process. It's a design process, people. <laughs> Um, so coming back to your color, for example, um, that's a good that's a good example. So what we do, like um, as we're creative people, you observe you observe what's going around in your in your daily life. You you read magazines, you you look at trend shows, you you go to like SEMA, you go to like the CES, you see what's happening in other markets such as fashion, such as uh, the electronic world, who are on a much faster pace than. Um, transportation design um, because the product have a much um, quicker turnover you see what what's happened social social economic areas um, if you make a, a vehicle for example for the china market or the us or the european market it's a very different development what people want where people are in their lifestyle um, what's what are trends on on materials on sustainability on on uh, in fashion but also in general mindset like people for example before were um on the materialistic side so having and owning more was kind of people were gathering now we're more in a in a an area where people reduce to the bare minimum try to live with one good product but not having 10 um so it's like a decluttering so you try to like bring all of these inputs you're observing together and try to extract macro trends out of it. So maybe there's a color trend, a short-term color trend of like greens and browns. At the moment, it's greens again. It has, it has to do with the sustainability trend. But um, as we all know, green in, in automotive is, is a very difficult color, greens and browns. Um, if you look at the charts, then that gets, uh, that will be shared from, um, a BSF, for example, like the, the major color trends on vehicles in, in US is still white as the number one color. And then it's a grayscale in, in Europe. It's a little bit the other way around. You're selling more dark and black cars and then silver and then white. And then you go into red and, and blues and then browns and greens are behind there. Um, because these products have a, a longer shelf life, you can, um, you have to adapt to these, um, to these trends then, but you can bring in trends from other industries. So again, coming why we know this, we're observing trends in other areas and trying to filter out what will be beneficial on a vehicle, but also looking at the product itself. Who are we making it for? So we're analyzing a lot. We're researching a lot. We're, we're looking into, okay, what is, what is our infrastructure going to be looking like in the next five years? Looking at electric cars, looking at hybrids, looking at combustion engine cars. Who are the buyers? What is their spirit for a small car, for an SUV? Um, what are they using it for? If it's an off-road vehicle, the color brown or green might be more dominant than, than for a, let's say, a city car, for example. So you, you have to do many different fields of research and putting things together in order to um, 
come up with a proposal for a color for a product in a certain white space. And then obviously we will make color developments with um, BSF so or or DuPont or you name it, any other color house. And then we say, okay, well, where are you with your pigment development, for example? And they will then share like, hey, we've just got a new triangular pigment that um, that shifts in the color and actually is able to create a blue-brown shade. It's like, oh, this is interesting because blues and browns, so let's work with that. Can we do anything to like, um, I was always trying to like um, try to make a pigment that has a shark skin that uh, in the end, the, the exterior color is used for um, a better um, aerodynamic on the car or there are color pigments. Now you can program working with some um, advanced uh, scientists I've figured out that there are, there are pigments you can program and then would save a whole paint process on the vehicle, which is huge costs. So you're, you're trying to also look into, you look into trends, you look into how can I make this fin, this product? How can I make the color? And um, what is the process? How long will it take? What are the specifications we have to meet in order to use this color on this product? So you work with testing and engineering. Um, to see that's UV resistant, scratch resistant, um, what the overall color properties are. And then you go back to the supplier and try to work on, on, on your idea of this color, trying to make it work with their capabilities. And then you, you start on different trials and concepts till you develop this for production. And this is just one of, I don't know how many hundred finishes and colors <laughs> and, and materials we have on one product. Yeah. How much, let me ask you that kind of question. How much time do you actually spend on the creative process? Because what you have just explained is project management, is budget control, is communication with marketing, with your design colleagues, with probably engineering, with uh, you know manufacturing suppliers, of course, as well. Um, how much time do you spend on the creative process? I mean, like, of course, like you probably you know the, the research is. Well, I can imagine something that's ongoing all the time because you might read a newspaper, you the go research, online. You, you observe, you observe stuff all the time. You make notes, you see stuff on your daily on your daily life pattern. You you absorb stuff constantly if you work in the vehicle or in any other industry as a CMF designer. The creative process itself has a certain time frame. Yes, it we we never get enough time because people in the industry we're we're picking we're picking a color. We're not designing it. They think it's somewhere secretly. This is a, it's a good story here. People think the material and color library that they're in their houses, we're secretly growing all the finishes and materials in there. And then in the end, we just go in there, pick it out and put it on the product. That's what <laughs> everyone thinks. People, it's not the truth. There is no such thing as this secret door where stuff grows behind. We don't have that. Sorry. <laughs> so so, you, so you're not just going to like any kind of random store, pick a color, and then it's like, oh, that's the one we no, take. Yeah, so it's not that like simple. No, <laughs> like I cannot go to a BSF set. Hey guys, this this color on the Panamera, I like this. Can I have that? No, it's proprietary. Those guys yeah. own it. We can't have it. I need to do my own design and development. Brief those guys. Look at the pigments. Make color tries. Make tests. Make it feasible. See that it works with uh, the the in-house paint line. There's so many different paint lines people have, or um, suppliers, uh, sorry, OEMs or startups have. The paint I develop needs to be capable to go through those paint lines. Mm. Um, so I have to talk to these people too. 
um, yeah, you can't you can't just use anything that might have been done before and is proprietary. You can use it as a guideline, you can use it as a direction, but you have to do your own um, your own design in order to make this happen for your own product. And yes, coming back to the creative process, the creative process in the beginning sadly starts sometimes past past the creative process of exterior and interior, sometimes parallel, but it should start at least at the same time, if not before, to feed the architecture and the product development early on and give those guys the best um, input on what can be done with a car or with a product to spark their creative process and not hold them back and then have CMF as an afterthought. Um, and involve them, involve these teams together to to work together on that. If those guys would know early on what could be done on a, as a finish, material or color, they might draw something very different. They might come up with very different ideas, which um, which could be much smarter, I think. So our creative process, sorry, I'm, I'm diverging a lot. Our creative process in the beginning is sadly way too short, but there is a, a very intense creative process looking at the whole car because a CMF designer not owns the interior exterior, we own the whole car and everything you can touch and feel. Um, sometimes also a little bit underneath the A surface because if we see certain materials that have um, or come across suppliers and we will listen to many people that has um, developed something that has unique properties. I would talk then to engineering that have guys. Have you have you seen that? That could be super interesting. Um, making um, door frames out of and because it has a unique crash, um, it could have a unique crash property, and uh, we're saving a huge amount of weight on that. Have you looked into that? And we're we're feeding those guys in addition to just doing our the a surface of a, of a finish. You just mentioned you just mentioned the the idea of saving money. Um, how present is that in everything you do? I mean, obviously, you know, we're, let, let, let's, let's 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 keep it let's keep it on a situation where we're on a a mainstream car, which is for the mass market. Like you know, obviously, let's say where where Tesla is right now. Um, let's not talk about these special editions for Rolls Royce and stuff like that, because on that there's there's no budget there. You can you can build anything you want, but. If if you really develop a production car which is going to sell in the hundreds of thousands, if not even millions, how much pressure on budget do you have straight from the beginning and how do you work with that? So in a perfect world, <laughs> um, we, we would strategize a product. We would talk about it, wh who it is for, what this end product should cost. And then obviously in the bomb, in the overall um, bomb, we would also... Um, come back and forth towards each um, area of the vehicle and say, well, we have this material. And I think because it's an, an A plus or A surface, we, we're categorizing um, the the materials and, and parts in the vehicle into like A, B, C, D surfaces, meaning an, an A plus plus surface and, and other car companies might do this a different way is for example, the steering wheel, the, the customer constantly engages and touches the steering wheel. So, the importance of the perceived quality of this is is very high. You could save money, for example, on on areas such as the map pocket or lower areas or flooring, because it's not a, a high end surface, but it's still a visible surface. 
So that's where we categorize through the vehicle and say, okay, if this is the vehicle cost and these are the materials we, we would like to use, or it's a placeholder for material, and you you divide up the the cost factors and discuss with purchasing how much they're going to give you, how much you're going to haggle around with them to maybe get more or less. You're trading like on a Turkish bazaar on a carpet, like say, <laughs> I give you, I give you a little bit more. I save some more money on the floor if you give me a little bit more money for the decor. And then you kind of meet in the middle and, and come to a price. You can then discuss in your development process with a supplier and say, hey, I, I would like a, a wood or recycled wood decor, but this is the max price we can spend on. Where What can we get out of this? Um, so you're negotiating a lot there. So price is a very important um, factor in the overall development process. Um, to paddle back there a little bit, what happens mostly and where there's a lot of money put into and gets lost along the way is coming back to the Indian extra design, the um, the architecture of the car, it happens. And then uh, the initial brief of the vehicle is, yeah, we would like to be competitive with a Panamera, for example, or with um, a Bentley in that kind of category. So the designers um, are then kind of putting um, their efforts into the architecture as well as the CMF said, okay, we, we could see um, if it's a premium vehicle, this, these are the finishes I would like to propose. And you start developing those. And um, being CMF being put behind the architecture again, surfaces are designed maybe on a seat or on, on part breakups that are not beneficial for cost, for example. If you would like to make um, a vehicle that has a base, a mid, and a high-end version, you want to be smart about where you make your cut lines, how you break um, parts so you can trim certain areas or make the mold in color, for example, in order to save costs and weight. But um, if this brief doesn't happen early on with the architecture, then you have to go back into the tooling or the redesign of the architecture. And um, that's where a lot of things go wrong then. You, you have uh, seat surfaces that are not divided up in certain areas to, to, to save money on, on parts and on finishes. Then you have to go back and redesign that or retool certain things. And um, that's normally then when the tooling had been done and the CMF is, let's say, 60% there. And they see, oh, this car costs us too much now. And we're like, yeah, well, we told you if you would have designed the surface that way, we could have taken the lower area of the IP and not trimmed it and doing only the upper area of the IP, which could have saved us weight and cost and give, given us the possibility to an upgrade for the customer. Well, tough shit hasn't happened. In the end, um, what happens to, I'd say, 99.9% when there's a cost down round of a vehicle, CMF gets beaten up and they're taking the money out of the finishes and colors and materials, um, downgrading maybe the leather to a lower grade leather um, where we wouldn't recommend that, but um, the perceived quality then of that product, the customer engages with um, will be harmed on that kind. But there's no other way than to do it. So they. They, they can't retool at that point. They have to take money out somewhere else. So if, if they wouldn't have had the afterthought of the CMF past the architecture, 
and wouldn't have to retool certain things, they had the, would have had the opportunity to design the architecture smarter not to have the cost down on the CMF. The, the hard part on the cost down on the CMF is when you go then, when you give a product to the, to the end consumer, he would say then, oh, I wish this leather would feel nicer. I think the leather on this product, it's nicer. I wish this grain wouldn't be that way. I wish, why do I have this stitch line on there? It hurts. Why do I have, um, why is this uh, stitch line right on my elbow there? Well, it was, the architecture was designed that way and we couldn't trim it in a different way because that's the only way we could do it at that point in time. Let me ask you one important thing on that one because what what I want to bring on there and what you're describing is really what for me is a designer's work. You know, it's not just a stylist. It's not just an you know an idea creationist in that kind of sense. It's really understanding the product. And I know this might sound a little bit like you know um, maybe maybe harsh, but without kind of you know like putting this onto like a specific project, but just in general, do you think that when you work with exterior and interior guys, you're working more with stylists rather than designers because they don't understand what maybe you're talking about or that the, maybe the knowledge of, you know, the production work is, uh, is always on that level to make, you know, to have these kind of conversations? Um, yes and no. Um, I wouldn't say so. A lot of the guys really understand, um, the product itself um and it, it depends where you talk to like you need you need the stylists as well as the the guys who really design and engineer a product on an architectural and creative side the stylists in there who are visionary and make a cool surface i call them the feeders and then the guys who are able to translate that into something that is feasible and makes sense and meets the product direction they are kind of the real designers in the end. I think you need both in these worlds to um, to make a good product. And then bringing the CMF design in there, um, there's an there's an understanding what we what we do. And thank God, the last I think five years, the understanding of CMF has grown in the industry. And actually, people see the industry sees how important CMF is that it could be a hit or miss of launching a product and being competitive on the market for a longer time and also like changing a product out quickly without putting too much money in later on i think um, the importance of cmf and the process and the, the design and the overall importance of it has grown and the understanding within the teams but um communicating um design and, and styling with uh, exterior and interior design is still is still hard i think because the way um the way the current process is is like the teams are not holistically working together in some areas in some areas it's it's been a lot better like faraday for example we we made sure um because we were very close with the interior exterior and, and myself leading the teams that uh, we made groups that um, those three people responsible for one vehicle present together, sit together, make brainstorms together, and understand each other's roles and capabilities and, and tasks on a much higher level, I think, was very beneficial. I wish that would be more, more common in, in the OEM world and not separating those teams out. 
you had this big advantage. You had this big advantage, of course, of uh, you know Tesla and Faraday. I mean, it's starting from scratch pretty much. So when you start from zero, you you can actually build something on that. Um, it's it's much more difficult, of course, than to to implement that when you have a big OEM, a big environment, to 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 change that. However, I certainly believe, and, and this is this is something that is that is fairly important, is because when you're in a small team, everybody does more work. Um, but with this more interaction, there's also a better understanding. So in the end, getting to a solution that works for all departments involved will be much easier. And this is this is also you know the communication process that goes in uh, in that. And I think this is something that everybody can change. Like if you just talk more to each other, if you try to get more information that exactly, is also yeah. valid for you. Um, that has nothing to do if you work in a company that employs a hundred thousand people, or if you work in a company that employs a thousand people. Um, that is, in particular, you know, between exterior column trim, interior column trim, UI in UX in interior. If they would collaborate more on just a verbal level, it doesn't even need to be for projects, but just understanding what each what you are doing, um, you, you could er- eradicate a lot of these um, these communication issues right away. Yeah. It's interesting you say UI UX. UI UX was also like a little bit left behind. Um, and um, the importance of user interface, user experience, of course, we all know is gained a huge importance. And um, looking at CMF and UI UX, it's actually a very important um, connection to bring those things together because with innovative materials right now, you can have interfaces and and experiences and overall um, feedback through materials to the driver and connecting the driver with its vehicle to make almost like a symbiotic um, um, connection. Um, modern vehicles or vehicles of the future, we all know, will will become um, AIs or are already AIs. Like the vehicle will learn from you, the, the vehicle will adapt more to you. And how can how can this happen? How can the vehicle connect to you? Of course, it has to be with a material or a surface. So developing then smart surfaces that can interact with the human itself through skin contact, through voice, through um, eye contact, through gestures, um, brings the CMF world with the user interface world very closely together. And also then the architecture, the design, how are surfaces designed? how where where are they located how can we how can surfaces be modular modularity is another huge point in the in saving costs and also being more adaptable to um to the user needs to user the user itself um the user development um what if you have a product for a longer lifetime you don't want to buy a new car every three or four years you have a car that um adapts to your needs that is is modular that's extendable that you can change things out you can you can add on things you can bring your surfboard you can bring a stroller you bring you bring your golf bag you have five people you have three people um you would like certain colors you would maybe like change certain materials out you would downgrade and upgrade and um the way the car learns your own habits your music choices your your health conditions for example um, your stress levels, um, all of these things can can be combined in where surfaces are, how are surfaces designed, how the interface and uh, 
the UX connect seamlessly through finishes and materials, um, brings everything together to one big, important, um, singular task force and not just to separate entities who are responsible for certain areas on a product. And, and this obviously leads us to this general idea of how color and trim and, and finishes also, you know, leads to what the brand is all about. But I want to, I want, I want to, bef before we get there, I, there was just something really interesting that you have just mentioned with the UI and UX and, and the connection with color and materials. I spoke, I had a conversation the other day with somebody. It was extremely interesting because I never thought about this, uh, but I want to share this quickly. He said, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is the more you do with screens and what happens on a screen, the more impact and the more connection you need with color and trim. And I asked him, I was like, why is that? And he's like, well, just imagine you, you make a decision that you have some Chrome bars or something like that in a car and your UI is supposed to copy that so that you have a coherent kind of you know, system going on and a coherent kind of language going on. And he said, it's, it might be an easy thing to do for the color and trim team, but this was, this could be one of the toughest thing to program and, you know, to bring, to bring into onto the screen. Um, so we need to have this communication together and maybe just tell them like, this is so complicated. It's, maybe not worth our time to program it or it's just going to be too expensive. Can we do something differently? And I think, you know, you see that a lot is that there is little communication between what happens on a screen from, you know, colors perspective, obviously in that sense, to what happens on maybe seats and stuff like that, because this was completely forgotten. So like the, 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 the language that you're trying to build with the color and trim for the interior, with everything that's connected to it, can be destroyed because there was not enough communication with the UI UX. And when he said that, I was just like, this is another task for color and trim to consider because if they don't do that or if the, the communication between those two areas is not there, this could completely destroy the, the visual picture that it tries to paint. Yeah. I think I can tie this together in, in an answer, including the branding there. So um, when you look at a, at a company, a company has a certain flavor and a certain spirit. And um, this is something with CMF, of course, when we, when we design a product, we not only look at the customer and the clientele and the product itself. What does the product represent? What is it supposed to um, talk or speak? Who is the customer we're making it for? But also what does this product represent on the brand side? This product needs to be recognizable with a certain flavor and feeling that represents the brand. So all of these items have to be consolidated into the CMF development. And also then talking about the, the user interface and user experience now with having screens um, getting more dominant uh, as core engagement points in the vehicle and we're losing kind of the 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 um the hard buttons it is very important that um, the user interface gets seamlessly integrated with each cmf theme and you have maybe on one product let's say three to five different themes in an interior maybe you have a very light one you have a sporty one you have a um you name it different one and 
this, the, the user interface needs to speak the same language and represent the same flavor than the architecture, the CMF, and the overall brand perception. So this is actually a very difficult thing to do as well. That's why um, we try to always have meetings and talk and show them the finishes we're using in the vehicle so they understand, okay, this is kind of the base, this is the mid, this is the up, this is um, this is the haptic. We let them touch the materials. We 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 show them the real the real color uh, on on the product because the real color on a real product and the color on a screen is very different. Um, so they they understand okay how can we how can we use certain colors on that interface that could work with every trim level that could work maybe through different product ranges because you don't want to do a new um, user interface for like three different cars. It's going to cost way too much money. So let's say you have a city car, you have an SUV and you have um, a truck or a crossover. Um, so all of these different flavored vehicles that have the same brand flavor need to then have a user interface that seamlessly integrates the CMF and the branding. So that's a bit of a spagat, so to say, to to make, um, and um, for them actually a very high task to to do so. The other fact is, of course, many people are colorblind, so you have to do something that's on a safety perspective, um, having having features in there that are color, but color that can be seen. How how strong is the involvement with? The branding team. So this obviously branding, you know, can nowadays be on its own. Most of the time it's probably within marketing. Um, how, how strong is that interaction on a day-to-day level? And does it, does it vary based on how early you are in a project and or how late you are in the project? It varies a little. Um, the only branding experience I can tell you about is kind of my startup experience. And at that point of time, we didn't have branding. Um, the branding was kind of within the design team we kind of um, created the brand itself. We designed um, what this what this product and the brand's flavor is, what keywords, what kind of um, focus points, what the flavor of a brand is. And then later on, we when the, the branding somewhat was established, besides the graphic design, of course, um, it it has a constant um, back and forth on each product you're developing then. So you're bouncing things um, back within the branding team then. And um, the branding team needs to understand the product um, and the ideation of the designer and the feeling of um, the trends and everything. So we need to, we, we need to drip feed them the information that's in our brains that um, involved the process of how we got to this product and what it will represent um, into their brains in order for them to communicate on a marketing perspective the right direction. And they would come and, and sit with us. We would show them stuff. We would make them understand why surfaces are a certain way, why we think this is the future, why we think um, this might be a smart thing to do, what we think this is a unique selling point. And then they would also like feed us with their research and, and come back to us. Like we would see on a brand perspective that this brand, we would like to guide this brand from here to there. 
that um, maybe we are on a little bit on a sustainable side and we would like to shift this brand way more on a sustainable side and give back to to customers and also like be more involved in other eco-friendly projects and we would like to communicate that with our product and with our brand so we understand then designing a product okay we need to involve this thinking process with the product development and design process in order to like keep those two very connected Mm -hmm. so let me let me ask this one final question. Obviously, you, you get all the three questions. Everybody get uh, in this one. But if we <laughs> if we break it down, if we break it down, and you have all these stakeholders in the job that you're doing, yeah, it's not just exterior, interior, UI, UX. It's engineering. It's marketing. It's branding. It's the board, probably to a degree as well. It's suppliers and all these kind of people. Who takes in the end the final decision? Depend depends if we're talking startup or OEM. Let's okay. So let's say let's say in the startup, and let's then say in the in the OEM. Um, in the I traditional, think in a startup, it's um, the benefit of a startup is it, it's a little bit more chaotic, but um, everyone owns a little bit more or quite a lot more responsibility than than where his actual uh, title and and core responsibilities are, which integrates you more into the company and and uh, gives you more leverage to to do something and, and make something creative. Um, that's, a, that's a big minus on big OEMs because you, you're over-processed. You have too many people in the decision process that um, sometimes hinder each other and sometimes um, making decisions they don't really understand or are not actually involved. Having someone making creative decisions not being a creative person is is a big problem they don't understand they understand it on a marketing maybe on a financial thing they don't understand the trends and the flavor and the feeling why we're making that so the more people you have lined up going through decision process the more diluted you have a product and also the longer your decision process is the more it costs and um the more diluted it gets so um what was i going to say um the the decision process having having someone on this table and you have a stakeholder of each department there bringing everything to a table and having a weekly decision guys let's do this and let's go rather than having to go through different entities of departments and and work that a group does gets presented three times through different boards until it actually meets somewhat the the highest board that then um, gets uh, a diluted version of this presentation, um, making a a decision with maybe a very different skill set is hindering, I think. It's it's hard. It's it's hard. It's, um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I prefer personally as much more stress level it is on the startup to have the core player who makes a decision sitting with me at the table because I'm an expert in a certain field and I have the chance as this expert to talk to the person who makes that final decision and give him my core expertise and not being transported through five or six other people who don't share this expertise uh, having this transported up there because that would be trigger a very different um, decision process, I think. Yeah. So putting it out there, 
when 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 red was chosen as the primary kind of communication color for the model s who in the end i would probably say like elon greenlit that but who 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 made that decision like this is what we should go for in the end like you know not saying here's option one two three it's like this is i think what we should go for was that who 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 was involved in that project or like in that decision making process oh the red, the color red itself as a brand color, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure because when I started, um, the, the color itself was already there. Uh, it was an early, an early, it was actually, no, it was grayscale. We had a grayscale. Um, it was kind of like a flag banner-ish kind of thing, like a button. And um, it then changed later on in a different wordmark and a different um, T shape. We lost the surrounding of it. Uh, the color red, I, I can't give you... A, an answer how it ended up with this finish to be honest i don't know okay that's well you've you've told us a lot of things already so <laughs> you're excused for not answering this <laughs> <laughs> i'd rather not answer it because i can't tell you the truth you know <laughs> that's fine but be before i let you go um every guest on the pod gets three questions from me Oh, and okay. these these two questions, the first two ones are very like you know design driven, and uh, and the third one is a very petrol head question. So, uh, yes. question 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 number one: Which project, which you have not been part of, would you have absolutely loved to contribute to? And this could be anything. This could not just be a car. This could be, you know, I don't know, an iPhone or whatever you can think of. But uh, it must be a creative process or project. Anything. Anything that you can think of. Could be a car as well. Like, I don't care. Uh, hmm. Maybe a spacecraft. Oh, like, we like, were involved like, a little uh, bit in the SpaceX development stuff. I wish I would have been involved a little more in that, I think. We did some interim, some CMF for mm -hmm. SpaceX. But I think um, I would have loved to be a little bit more involved in that. And also in the futuring of that. I think that could be very interesting. Cool. Question number two. Yeah. Which designer... And we're talking about really designer. You have worked with or have not worked with, that doesn't really matter, has had the biggest influence on you personally. Do I need to drop a name here? <laughs> <laughs> well, a, a name helps. A name a name would be great. You can you can also say there's a bunch of people and like, you know, if you don't want to drop a name, just explain why. The biggest influence on myself. Um, I'll have to answer that in a very different way. Go ahead. I had the opportunity to be one of the first girls, female, to be kind of sponsored in out at Audi when I was in Munich. And it was a very hard time because it was female. And um, I think I got laughed at a lot there. But I have learned a lot being in there. And I have learned getting, it sounds weird, but getting my elbows out, that's, that's, that's mm -hmm. weird to say. But I have, I have seen a lot how people work. It's a very male-driven environment. Which, which is good and bad at the same time. But um, the process and the detail and the, the, the attention to quality when I was there was uh, impressive. And um, learning more about vehicle design and cars, that was kind of, for me, the initial Kickstarter to see my personal path. And um, I think if, I, if it wouldn't have been for the chance of being there and doing all my internships and my final diploma work there, I don't think I would be where I am right now. So I think Audi itself at that point of time was for me the biggest creative influencer. All right. 
And question number three, I know you're going to like this one because I know you, you like cars as well. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> If I give you a blank check, any money Ooh. available, oh, which car talking. would you buy? Which cars or car? You can, you, like, look, okay, so one that comes to mind right away, but I, I give you three. I give difficult. you three. Well, I, I know this is always the toughest <laughs> one. This is why I always say, like, you know, take the one that comes from your gut feeling. Give me at least one. Give me a maximum of three. Mm. GT3 RS. <laughs> okay, which one? Like 996, 997, 991? Like, you know, you have to be more specific on this uh, one. Come on. I think the 996. I think the 996, yeah. I like to drive fast and around really fast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, as much as I love the electric vehicles, and um, I have a Model 3, and it, 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 it's pretty cool on a racetrack, um, driving a GT3. GT3, GT, I haven't driven a GT4, I've driven a GT3 around a racetrack in Vegas, which is pretty, pretty awesome. Um, just that feeling and the sound and the, the movement of the car itself um, is insane. But again, if I had a blank check, it has to be this car, it has to be another off-roady car. I would have, I would have to get a Cobra as well, an original one. Like this <laughs> nice. is kind of, and, and I need a big garage then because there will be a couple more, maybe a Super Seven too. A Super Seven is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I think the first car probably GT3. Yeah, I'll take that. Thank you very much. It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very, very much for spending over an hour with me. Yes. Okay. I hope it wasn't too confusing. Um, <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. Okay. And, uh, it's, it's absolutely fantastic that you have, you know, have been able to share uh, the importance and like, you know, why, you know, color and trim is so important to the entire process. And I, I'm pretty sure that this will, you know, enlighten a lot of our listeners. So obviously, uh, Sue, thank you very much for everything. Yes, uh, we will obviously you. link you in the podcast description as well so that the people can find you on LinkedIn and that they can message you and they can contact you on your uh, Nova Design website as well. So this will all be on the on the podcast description. And uh, to all our listeners, thank you very much for spending another hour with uh, me, Martin Groschwart, as well as with uh, Sue Neuhauser. And you will hear back from us very soon with the next episode of the Gestalting Podcast. Thank you, everybody. 